Reacting to the world's best science, the Naked Scientist Newsflash. This is The Naked Scientist with Ben Valsler and with Kat Arney. And Kat is at the National Cancer Research Institute's annual conference. So Kat, what should we expect to see over the coming days? Well, this is the, the National UK Cancer Conference. It's really, really big and there's loads of stuff. There's loads of doctors, nurses, scientists, cancer patients, all sorts of people involved in research are coming here today and over the next couple of days to talk about the latest developments, find out what's going on, set up collaborations. And it's the 10th anniversary this year of the NCRI, the National Cancer Research Institute, and that's the umbrella organisation for all the cancer funders in the UK. So it's shaping up to be a really, really big and impressive conference. Um, Already we've had some stories coming out of the conference. There's been some news about increasing rates of cervical cancer among young women. This is women in their 20s. Now, we have a very good screening programme for cervical cancer. It stops a lot of deaths by detecting dodgy cells in the cervix before they actually become cancer. And uh, initially, the screening programme did cause a drop in cancer rates in young women, but the rates are on the rise again. Now, the majority of cases of cervical cancer are caused by HPV, that's the human papilloma virus. And this is usually a sexually transmitted infection. So um, scientists maybe think that a lack of safe sex among young women might be the cause. So uh, be safe out there, ladies, and help to reduce your cancer risk. Now, also, there's a strong focus here at the conference on personalised medicine, and we'll be talking a lot more about that later in the show. And this is about testing tumours for specific faulty genes or molecules and finding out which drugs are most likely to be effective. This is really moving towards treating cancer as a molecular disease, not as a one-size-fits-all kind of thing. So instead of saying, well, you have this type of cancer, you have bowel cancer or you have breast cancer, testing someone's tumour and saying, ah, you have this, this and this faulty gene, so you need this, this and this drug. And we'll be talking later in the show to Professor Chris Marshall, who's done a lot of work over over the past 30 years into cell signalling and trying to understand how these signals go wrong and how we might target them to treat cancer. And he's just done an excellent talk this afternoon all about that. Um, We've also got a very interesting talk going on about chemo prevention from John Potter. This is the idea of preventing cancer using drugs. Now, we've been very successful with preventing things like heart disease using statins, but much less successful with cancer. And there's some evidence that uh, a breast cancer drug called tamoxifen and now new drugs called um, aromatase inhibitors might help to prevent breast cancer in women at high risk. But there haven't been many other successes like this. So he thinks you know, why aren't we being successful and do we need to completely rethink our ideas about how to prevent cancer? So it's looking like it's going to be a week packed with talks, posters, networking events, and there's even art exhibitions exploring issues around cancer and how it affects people. So it's uh, shaping up to be a fantastic few days. And me and my team from Cancer Research UK are going to be covering all the top stories on our blog. That's scienceblog.cancerresearchuk.org. So uh, go and check it out to get all the breaking news. And in some ways, it feels like we're on the cusp of a a sea change in attitudes towards cancer because of personalised medicine, because of gene therapies. It really does seem like we're in a very exciting time. It's a really, really exciting time. I mean, when you look at when the human genome was sequenced just a decade ago, it cost so much money, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pounds, and it took ages. And now we can sequence three cancer genomes in a week for a cost of, you know, $1,000 more or less. 
tests. So we can actually really start to analyse people's tumours, figure out what's gone wrong and, and work on the right drugs to treat them. So there's a lot of optimism in the field now of cancer researchers and cancer doctors. Thanks, Kat. Deletion of two regulatory genes allows damaged neurons to grow back in a sustained way. This could now point the way to new drug targets that encourage nerve regrowth. One of the major problems with repairing or regrowing damaged cells from the central nervous system is the relatively huge distances the cells need to extend in order to meet their target. There are basically two stages of neuron growth in development. There's de novo or new outgrowth and connection in the developing embryo and that's followed by a long period of what's called networked growth. This is where the axons, the long slender projections that carry the electrical signal from one neuron to the next, extend all while maintaining their connection at either end. As the animal grows, this second stage can result in axons being far longer than anything created by the novel growth that first happened in the embryo. If adult central nervous system neurons are damaged, however, the de novo method kicks in to attempt to repair. This can be slow and unreliable, and it doesn't really offer the sustained repair and regrowth required to regain pre-injury performance. Writing in the journal Nature, Chi Yang He from the Children's Hospital in Brighton and colleagues report that deleting or suppressing two regulatory genes called P10 and SOX3 enabled nerve cells called adult retinal ganglion cells from the optic nerve of mice to sustainably regenerate a damaged axon. P10, or phosphatase and tensin homologue, acts as a tumour suppressor. It regulates cell growth and replication, while SOX3, or suppressor of cytokine signalling 3, regulates cell signalling. If you remove either gene on its own, you do see a little improvement in neuron regeneration, but deleting both genes together has a remarkable effect, a more than tenfold increase in the number of regenerating cells. So researchers then looked at the pathways downstream of these genes and they identified a number of factors that were only activated in damaged nerves if these two genes were deleted. That suggests that P10 and SOX3 are suppressing growth factors and pathways that promote axon growth. And although each of these genes acts on different pathways, there is obviously some synergy between them. Understanding these factors could now provide a target for treatments that would encourage the rapid and healthy regrowth of damaged nerves and achieve full functional recovery. Now, most cell types in our body are being constantly replenished, but we do still get old. A subpopulation of cells are said to undergo senescence. That's where chemical controls kick in and stop them from dividing to produce new cells. When we're young, these are then cleared out by the immune system, but as we get older, they start to build up in our tissues. Researchers at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester suggest that these cells may play a very important role in diseases of old age, as Mira Senthalingam found out when she spoke to Jan van Dersen. So we basically set out to test whether senescent cells, which are really cells that accumulate in some mammalian organisms over time, were suspect of contributing to age-related disease. So we wanted to test whether that was really the case. All we did essentially was design a animal model in which we could clear these so-called senescent cells. We had two approaches. One approach was to do it lifelong, start at an early age and keep doing it for the rest of the life of the animal. And then the other way was to first uh, have the animal age so that the 
age-related disabilities and disorders would be present and then clear the cells and see what the, whether there would any, be any beneficial effect of their clearance. And whereabouts are these cells actually found? Are they throughout the body? Yeah, they're found in most tissues and organs. They are really uh, thought of as uh, cells that are accumulating as a result of an anti-cancer defense mechanism. So if a cell becomes damaged to a degree that it is uh, likely to develop into a tumor cell, um, this process of cell senescence is activated. And basically what it is, it makes these cells stop proliferating as a way to prevent the formation of tumors. The side effect is that you start accumulating these cells um, in tissues and organs, and they're not just innocent bystanders at that point. Because this process of senescence uh, really changes the profile of proteins that these cells uh, produce, they start producing and secreting uh, inflammatory cytokines, uh, growth factors, proteases that chew up parts of the surrounding cells. So basically, the secretory components of senescent cells make the life of the neighboring cells much more difficult. So although the senescent cells are relatively small in numbers, maybe a couple percentage of the uh, total number of cells in a tissue or organ, but their um, effects, negative effects, are quite widespread. And how did you set about removing these cells? We took advantage of the knowledge that tumor suppressor gene P16 is really expressed in most of these uh, senescent cells. It actually is thought to play a role in the conversion of a normal cell to a senescent cell. So we use that to make an artificial gene, kind of a suicide gene, driven by that same P16 promoter. So whenever P16 expressed, we would also express this suicide gene. But the uh, suicide gene is present, but it needs to still be activated by a drug. So senescent cells that express the suicide gene would still not die until we would expose the cells to a synthetic drug. And what were your key findings then with regard to the presence of these cells and their effect on particular age-related disorders? And which disorders did you see an effect with? We needed to test this experimental system, and we did that on a so-called progeroid uh, mouse model. This is basically mice that have low amounts of this protein BOPAR1, and they age about five times faster than a normal mouse. So now the phenotypes in this accelerated aging model that the aging-related disorders are sarcopenia, which is basically muscle wasting, also the loss of fat, both fat deposits in the body and subcutaneous fat, and the subcutaneous fat loss typically gives us the wrinkled skin. Yeah, the third uh, hallmark of aging was the formation of cataracts, which is seen in about 25% of people above 65. So we looked at these three aspects because we knew that in those aging processes, the gene P16 was expressed, uh, indicating that in those age-related processes, perhaps P16-positive senescent cells would play a role. We saw that lifelong clearance really can either prevent or delay 
those age-related disabilities. When we would treat late in life, when those disorders were already present, we could halt them or slow them down from that moment on. What are the hopes applications of this then? Yeah, so a lot of work needs to be done, but this mouse model can be used to really try to figure out what would be the best strategy of removing these cells. Would that be continuous or would that be once every year or once every so often? Would it be uh, advantageous to do it at a late life? We agree that, you know, lifelong treatments are not really desirable but could also uh, imagine that this is kind of more like a spring cleaning that you do uh, every so often. Jan van Dersen speaking to Mira Senthalingam. And you can read more about that work in the journal Nature this week. And here's Mira again with a roundup of our other science news. Being a smoker may increase your chances of also becoming addicted to cocaine. Working with mice and also data from human subjects, University of Columbia scientist Amir Levine and his colleagues found that nicotine alters the activity of a gene called FOSB, which has previously been linked to addiction. These changes increase the likelihood of developing a subsequent cocaine dependency. We saw an increase in the different behavioural paradigms that are related to addiction. Finally, we looked at a certain gene that's called the FOSB gene that has been shown to be very important for addictions. And we saw that when we give nicotine first and then cocaine, there is an enhancement in the expression of the FOSB gene. And that the final step is that we've discovered that nicotine basically opens up chromatine and that's how it primes the brain to the effects of cocaine. High levels of pollution are increasing the intensity of cyclones over Asia. Carbon-rich brown clouds over the Arabian Sea, which have grown sixfold since the 1930s, are cooling the water surface, resulting in a drop in wind shear, the difference in wind speed and direction, between the upper and lower parts of the atmosphere. This increases the efficiency with which storm systems can form, making supercyclones with winds exceeding 185 kilometres per hour, much more likely to form. Amato Evan from the University of Virginia led the study. What we're really showing is that human activity can actually change these massive atmospheric phenomenon. But what it also says is that because these aerosols reside in the lower parts of the atmosphere, if emissions stopped, this effect would essentially reverse in a timescale of just a couple months. The relevance of this findings is that Although we have, in this way, changed the climate and, and in such a way that creates very powerful storms, it's not irreversible. Skin can see the light to protect us from UV radiation. Elena Wanchan and colleagues from Brown University found that a light-sensitive chemical called rhodopsin, normally found in the retina, is also present in melanocytes, the skin cells that produce the suntan pigment melanin. The cells use the rhodopsin to detect UVA rays and then switch on melanin production in under an hour. Previously, melanin production was thought only to occur after a few days in response to shorter wavelength UVB radiation, which can damage DNA. So if a small amount of initial UVA exposure increases the skin's defense to UVB, it's really important not to have, for example, UVA-only sunscreen. The other thing is that if this is a protective response and we identify the molecules that mediate this response that leads to melanin production, 
then we can activate the pathway artificially and increase the skin protection. Three new chemical elements have been officially named by the General Assembly of the International Union of Pure and Applied Physics, IUPAP. Elements 110, 111 and 112 in the periodic table have been named Darmstadtium, Frontgenium and Copernicium, respectively. They were named by physicists from around the world and are now officially part of the periodic table. The secret of a lion's roar lies in the shape of its vocal cord, according to new research. A lion can generate sounds as loud as 114 decibels, equaling that of a jet engine taking off. Scientists had believed that the loud, low-pitched roar was down to the weight and presence of fat within the animal's vocal cords. But now, analysing samples of lion and tiger vocal tissues, Sarah Clemmick's team at the University of Utah identified the key features to be stretchiness, pliability and the square shape of the vocal folds themselves. Little lung pressure is really needed to set these vocal folds into vibration. The panthera vocal fold is a very square shape. The mechanical properties along with that square shape allow the lion to generate a very loud roar at a very low pitch. The researchers equated the sound to that of a baby's cry. Both sounds demand attention, but lions use it as a scare tactic to keep intruders at bay rather than a call for help. And that was Mira Senthalingam with this week's News Flash. And as always, you can follow up on any of the news stories we've covered, along with many more, by going to thenakedscientist.com slash news. And me and my team from Cancer Research UK will be covering all the big stories from the NCRI conference this week on our blog, that's scienceblog.cancerresearchuk.org. The Naked Scientist News Flash, reacting to the world's best science. For more information, look us up online at nakedscientists.com.